0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Sophia program, We return to the airwaves with a new edition and a new year of Mythosophia, entertaining the depths of myth and wisdom. And we thank you so much for joining us as we take and continue this journey uh, to take a look at mythology, among other things, and all of its ramifications. And the various subjects that we are going to talk about, I think that you're going to enjoy this program. It's a little different this time around because uh, I'm going to have different co-hosts with me. Today, Dr. Uh, Selena Matthews is my uh, co-host, and I want to welcome you to uh, Tell Me Your Story and the Mythosophia series. It's really a pleasure. We both know uh, Will Lynn, who is the gentleman who we started these uh, programs with, and I thank you for uh, joining us on this continuing journey
1: so excited that you're having me on this journey it's a thrill
0: it really is and we also have a very special guest and we will get to her in just a moment Uh, but first let me ask you uh, uh, Selena why is this subject matter as we are going into it today why is this important to you why did you want to be a part of this new uh, series of uh, programs uh, of uh, uh, tell me your story
1: because I think it's important to have the depth psychological piece, and that's my area of expertise. And I think that's really missing uh, in the community at large. And I'm so thrilled to have Dr. Johanna O'Flaherty here, who is all, who is a depth psychologist as well as a crisis counselor. And right now in America, we have so much trauma going on we have covid we have climate change we have mass shootings we have black lives matter and uh you know we've got a lot of problems here and according to a cnn poll that i just read richard um the mental health hotlines are up by 800 percent, and wow. that's shocking that is just shocking so you know, I you know want to introduce uh, Dr. Johanna O'Flaherty because she is both a depth psychologist and a crisis psychologist. She's worked at uh, was the vice president at Betty Ford, has worked in aviation, has worked in all kinds of crisis situations, and I wanted America to hear her story and what she does because I don't think enough people know what. You know what people like Johanna do and I'm so thrilled to have her part be here Richard so thank you so much for allowing that to occur
0: and we thank you uh, Dr. Johanna O'Flaherty a fine Irish woman who is joining us uh, to uh, to talk about this subject which uh, I have I have I do it tongue-in-cheek but I think it probably would be appropriate to say If this planet were to hold a seminar for the rest of the universe, the subject matter would be just that, crisis management. Because for some reason, human beings don't seem to be able to prepare ahead of time for the eventualities that that seem to come our way. Would that be a fair assessment?
2: Well, I actually think that's a great question. I think that if uh, other planets are watching us, they must think, they must think that we are actually the lunatic asylum of the planets, uh, particularly the way we have been uh, behaving uh, for the past couple of years, which is unfortunate. And, and the fallout, of course, is for the average man, woman, and child that is trying to navigate these troubling times.
0: Well, and that, yeah. And, and you have developed actually uh, a sort of a program you've developed and implemented a crisis response program for as as uh, Selena was telling us uh, you know airlines and other companies corporations and so forth uh, and I'm just curious as to how those were received and how they have have they been continued since you introduced and implemented those in these different companies again some of the companies aren't around anymore i get that but uh what is the response and the longevity
2: well my first uh response as a crisis psychologist was to the Lockerbie disaster which many of you that are over 50 will remember Mm and that was in 1988. And we responded to the aviation disaster that killed 230 passengers and 11 people on the ground. Mm-hmm. At the time, the airlines did not have an organized team. And when I came back from that uh, you know, uh, time in Lockerbie, I personally was absolutely in many ways wounded, wounded uh, psychically, because of what I'd seen and so on and dealing with grieving family members. So I was one of the individuals in the island, at the time I was the corporate manager for Pan American and I was one of the individuals to get this motivated and started. And I was sort of a trailblazer to get these teams organized. And uh, the teams in the aviation industry are very, very organized uh, as indeed, because now it's a National Transportation Safety Board mandate, uh-huh. as indeed are the teams in, among first responders. Uh, they've been developing teams among first responders, you know, fire, police. Um, uh, and of course, since 9-11, uh, flight attendants have been put into that category as first responders. Because after all, they were the first victims. Yeah,
1: Johanna, can you separate and talk about the different types of frontline workers? Because I think it's really important to put them in categories.
2: Yeah, I can. I've made a couple of notes, so uh, let me uh, find those for you. Uh, because uh, I think it's very important for the audience to understand, uh, you know, who are the frontline workers. So. We have the first responders, which I think is we know, fire and police. Now the frontline workers, which are nurses, doctors, respiratory therapists, and chaplains, uh, and of course hospital technicians. I use when we talk about uh, frontline workers, first responders, and so on. I use the dark board approach. Look at the inner circle and who are the individuals that can touch, feel, smell, and hear? They're the inner circle. Then of course, there's a secondary circle. The, right now, the grieving family members. That, I mean, we are a nation of family members that are grieving. We have experienced over 700,000 deaths. So do we have a container to be able to contain them, to hold the space? I think that needs further discussion. Um, so, and also, Selena flight attendants. And then we talk about, by the way, I do a group uh, for flight attendants. I, I do an online Zoom group for flight attendants and for frontline workers that we've been doing since uh, December, 2020. Because their jobs have changed, the challenges have changed. And uh, then we can't forget the last responders. And so people say to me, well, who are they? They are the coroners, mm. which are the forgotten group. Yeah.
1: So how do you assist and facilitate the coroners? I mean, what's going on with them? Because I really feel they've been forgotten.
2: They're very much forgotten. And uh, I've worked you know, tangentially with coroners over the years with aviation disasters because we have to, uh, you know, work with the coroners and the homicide detectives to identify the remains and make sure that they are matched with the grieving family members and escorted home to their destination. Yeah. And when you're talking about an aviation disaster, the destination is all over the world. So I work with them closely, but not as closely as I have with the coroner in Vegas after the shooting. So, you know, this is still the worst shooting in the history of the United States, the most worst mass fatality shooting. Uh, we had 58 uh, victims and then, of course, the perpetrator. So they all show up at the coroner's office. And I was working with first responders and I asked the first responders, who's helping the coroner? Because I'd seen him on TV and so on and and knowing that they're all stretched to the max and uh, the firefighters, the chiefs said, oh, there's somebody, there's a team over there helping them and I'm like, great, great. Well, that wasn't accurate. So a couple of weeks into it, uh, I was put in touch with them and I began working with the coroners and their staff. Within the coroner's department, there are many, many different um, responsibilities. Uh, you have investigators, you have forensic pathologists, and you have administrative workers, which essentially are clerks. Many of them are students. These administrative workers don't necessarily have to see uh, a dead body at all under normal circumstances. But when there's mass fatalities, boundaries are uh, violated left, right and center. So uh, I can share with you folks that it was an absolute sort of a sacred time for me to be working with the first responders and I have a deep uh, soft spot in my heart for them. And when I I do a lot of public speaking on crisis management and since that experience, I always talk about the last responders. Mm. We're here with uh,
0: uh, with uh, not only my co-host, uh, Dr. Selena Matthews. We're also here with Dr. Uh, Johanna O'Flaherty. And we are talking, of course, uh, as you are hearing, about the uh, this whole issue of uh, trauma in America. And we are suffering through a lot of it. Uh, when we come back, as we continue here, uh, because I, I need to take care of a couple of housekeeping things here. But when we come back, I want to talk to you, uh, 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 Johanna, about... Uh, what you kind of mentioned and 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 there is there is grieving there is trauma on a physical mental emotional and spiritual level And you mentioned the psyche and i want to talk a little bit about that when we come back and i know that i know that uh, selena you will also have some additional questions to follow up in that regard as we continue here on tell me your story new paradigms for a new world this is the mythosophia series entertaining the depths of myth and wisdom I'm Richard Dugan, your host, along with my co-host, Dr. Uh, Selena Matthews, and we're talking with Dr. Johanna O'Flaherty. She uh, has been sharing with us her experiences dealing with specifically, uh, of course, initially the Lockerbie uh, plane uh, uh, plane crash, but also the incident in Las Vegas that uh, claimed so many lives. And we're also touching upon this whole issue of Over 700,000, and this is just talking about the pandemic, over 700,000 human beings we have lost in this country alone, just in this country alone, not to mention uh, all of the other losses due to other causes, heart disease, diabetes, and the list goes on and on and on. Um, And I want to ask you, uh, uh, just kind of get things rolling in this segment about the psychic impact or the spiritual I can even take it to the spiritual impact of these traumas but not just on the first responders to the last responders that you spoke of but on the rest of us who are bystanders who are watching the unfoldment of all of this and we're just sitting here shaking our heads going uh, you know not some people are going what can I do how can I help but also they're just going, I, I can't believe this. And they haven't lost any loved ones. They haven't experienced direct impact other than through the information that's coming at them through the radio and television on the on the internet, not to mention the overflow of information from so many different sources. And then you have what seems to be contradictory information, uh, and and we don't know who to trust and who to believe, and it just goes on, and on. it's just like, this is never going to end, this is going to be our lives until we leave, and I've got another 40 plus years, I want to be here to make changes, and I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to handle the deluge, so uh, and I know that's huge, that's a big thing to
1: talk about. But yeah, can you... Richard, I absolutely agree with you. I think what you're saying is so poignant. I want to break it down a little bit, if sure. I may. Because what I, the question I want to ask Johanna is, mm-hmm. what do you think is fueling the psychological deterioration of all of the traumas that are happening in our country ah, right now? Very good. I like it.
2: Yeah. Well, I would say, first of all, to break it down very simply, uh and I agree with Richard. You know, the, the 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 populace have been fed with a lot of information. Now, information and knowledge is very good and powerful, but misinformation is uh, a disaster and can actually kill people, as we are seeing today. So, uh, I always ask uh, when somebody is commenting to me about uh, you know the situation. I say, uh, where did you find this information? Check your facts. You know, we have to have so many fact checkers out there to see is this is this reality. What we know is reality is that we have lost over 700,000 people. And there are more. Right now, where the media is not covering it, but I run the group for frontline workers, nurses, doctors, so on. I get it firsthand every Thursday evening. And uh, they are running out of ICU beds. The, Frontline workers have to make, uh, you know, uh, decisions, which are which I call a moral injury. And then I'm going to get back to the populace. Uh, I had a nurse practitioner the other night, and she had four patients that needed ICU beds. They all needed to be on ventilators.
0: Mm.
2: She had one bed. So she had to make a decision. And uh, she was uh, discussing the, you know, the moral injury that it caused her. So what is the COVID doing to the psyche of America? Uh, I, when I, because I am Irish and I look at, uh, you know, the psyche of different countries, we are certainly not separated in any way. We're all very close collectively on a collective unconscious. I call it the collective soul. However, I think that different countries are older to begin with, and they're more established in dealing with death. They have, let's say, more of a container. They have uh, spiritual rituals. We are fragmented. Mm -hmm. We are very fragmented. We are very divided and polarized. I've been in the United States 50 years. I love this country. It is my country. It's my home. But um, I still have hope. I'm still an optimist. And I believe that, um, you know, first of all, we need to begin the conversation. And thank you for inviting me on this program. We need to begin the conversation of how do we heal? How do we recover? And it has to be intentional. Uh, There has to be, you know, of course, the healthcare community, the therapist, and so on, but the faith based community. And they are stepping up and they're stepping up in a very organized, wonderful way. We, because of COVID, we were forced to suffer in isolation. We do not heal in isolation. If we go back into, you know, the myth legends and, uh, you know, stories, we heal in community. So we need community. We need to be in community. We need to be in, in to sort of, live together, fight together, argue together, respect each other, but still be very real with each other. Mm-hmm. And that is how we're going to heal. We are not going to heal in isolation. We suffered in isolation. But we need to heal in uh, in community.
1: Johanna, you had just talked about earlier um, before uh, the program started that you had lost your sister. Can you talk about that and the experience of your family. What happened?
2: Well, thank you. Uh, As Richard said, uh, I'm an Irish woman, I am indeed. I came uh, to the States 50 years ago. Uh, I have a large family, there's six of us and we're scattered all over the world. And uh, my beloved sister, Bridget, uh, passed away in January from COVID. And it was so surreal. I had to say goodbye to her on FaceTime And uh, actually in England, they did allow her daughters to be with her. They allowed their daughters at the time to be with the end of life patients. But, and then uh, I watched her memorial on Zoom. It was like watching a movie. And, you know, prior to uh, my sister dying, I had been doing the frontline worker support group and listening to the nurses and so on and all these people dying. And it was kind of removed from me. Now, bang, my sister dies. And it brings it home. It brings it home loud and clear. So we watched the memorial, and it's like watching a movie. This is surreal. Then we have a uh, sort of a Zoom wake. For those of you that don't know wakes, Richard will explain wake later. So we got <laughs> a Zoom wake, and here's the deal. I was saying to my family, this is this is so unreal. Um, my cousins, who are very musical, sang, played the fiddle, and so on. But we needed to be together. We needed to be together and do what the irish do we tell stories we 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 laugh we talk about the the deceased we we fight together we cry together whatever we do together we needed to be together do you know to this day we haven't had the chance to be together so uh it's still sort of unreal that my beloved sister deceased
1: Mm.
2: you know um it
0: is one of those things that is so interesting as, as I moved through uh, this pandemic, talking with my sisters and brother, uh, it was probably May of, la- of 2020 that we did a family Zoom get together where I got to see uh, my sisters and my nieces and uh, my brother, my parents and so forth. And then it was a few months later that I got a text saying from one of my sisters, who I'm uh, closer to than the others, that she and her husband and their daughters have COVID. And I'm thinking, unbelievable. They're already at home. How in the world did that happen? Not that that matters now because they've got it. Uh, I myself have been going to work every day. Every day during the pandemic, my wife, she was uh, furloughed for eight weeks from March to June. Uh, And um, we both have been vaccinated. It it was just we just said, you know what, I'm not going to be swayed by the fears. I figure, you know, if it's going to kill me, if it's going to do this, it's going to do. You know, I've taken a philosophical perspective and maybe there's a a myth to, to go into this, too, but. Uh, you know, if it's my time, <laughs> uh, bottom line, I'm ready to go. Okay, do I have more I wanna do? Well, absolutely, there's more I wanna do. But, you know, I can't control when my ticket is punched, you know, and I'm gonna make sure that I'm ready and uh, I'm good to go. So, but it was just, it was, as you said, it was surreal. All of this is so surreal. Um, one of the things I'd like to talk about when we continue, as we continue, has to do with who takes care of the caregivers who takes care of the first responders, the second responders, uh, the general public and so forth. And I have even heard it said that we are headed towards another pandemic, not of a virus, at least not of the kind uh, of a uh, coronavirus or COVID-19, but more of a mental health virus. And we'll talk about that as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And this program, Mythosophia, entertaining the depths of myth and wisdom, is here uh, during this particular period of time, and the programs are—they're uh, on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., and Wednesdays. Our special edition of "Tell Me Your Story" Wednesdays. At 9 a.m., streaming live at those times at RichardDugan.com. The podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry. We're also on iHeartRadio as well as Amazon Music. We hope that you will subscribe. And these videos—that's right—we're on YouTube, where you can watch these interviews. You can see the 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 lovely Johanna and selena and uh, the eh, they say it distinguished because I have no hair. Um, And only bald people apparently can say they're distinguished. I don't know. Anyway, you can see us and watch the interviews and also go to the websites that we'll be giving you shortly as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. We are bringing you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And we're going to give you some choices as we move forward, some ways in which you might be able to begin that process of healing, even if it is with a mask. Uh, even if it is a little distance between you and the next person, uh, I do want to talk about this aspect of who heals the healers. But before that, I want to jump into one quick thing here that I have brought up. And Selena, you certainly can address this as well as uh, Johanna. I bring up this point as an, uh, as an American who is familiar with our Constitution, specifically the Declaration of Independence, which speaks about these inalienable rights, as well as, um, it says, we the people, in order to form a more perfect gov- government, uh, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility. Now, here are the key phrases. Promote the general welfare and... Secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Do ordain and establish a constitution for the United States of America. Um, <laughs> I find it fascinating the arguments that some people give for of, um, exercising, as they say, their First Amendment constitutional rights of individuality. And I'm not passing judgment, nor am I making a, 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 a statement to that effect. I'm asking the question... How does one balance in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of a situation that is affecting our community that we need to heal, as you've quite well stated earlier, between those individual rights and uh, promoting the general welfare and securing the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, who is, that's our children. Um, Because it seems as though, uh, and I take this position, I have the same individual constitutional rights, but I'm exercising mine by helping to promote the general welfare, by doing the things I, in my gut, feel are helpful, wearing a mask, washing my hands, six feet apart, and getting vaccinated.
2: But go ahead. I sincerely believe uh, while I said earlier, we're very polarized right now. I sincerely believe that if we have tolerance and tolerate also the opposing viewpoints, we do not disagree we do not agree with them, but let 's begin the conversation. I believe that what 's uh, permeating uh, a lot of our society is fear. and I have a, I have a quote, what fear ladies and gentlemen, does not stop death, but rather it stops life. Fear and worrying doesn't take away tomorrow's troubles, but it takes away today's peace. Uh, I'd like to, uh, you know, I get a lot of arguments from a lot of uh, individuals that have different, uh, you know, uh, viewpoints Mm -hmm. about what's going to keep us safe. And I'm talking within the context of the COVID illness Mm -hmm. and they will say it isn't a disease. It isn't this, it isn't that, it isn't the other thing. And I go, you know, I really, you know, honor what you're saying, but I need to tell you, this is very personal to me. My sister died from COVID and I, as a scientist, because as PhD psychologists, we are actually classified as scientists. I believe in science. Do I question and verify? Yes. But you know, to your question about the general population, uh, Richard and Selena, uh, the is on the verge of another health crisis. And you said it. And that is psychological widespread trauma. Mm-hmm. And uh, a Kaiser Permanente, did a, the foundation did a poll And nearly half of the Americans report that the COVID situation has harmed their mental health. And we've been doing this for, what, 18 months more now. Mm -hmm. And the the system, the system was difficult. The mental health system was difficult to access to begin with. Now it is almost at a a stage of fragmenting and breaking down. Uh, Personally, I'm trying to get a young woman whose son died into a therapist in her geographical area. It's going to be four or five months before she can get an appointment. That you would happen in a third world country. This is unacceptable here. So in lieu of getting somebody an appointment in person, I'm seeing the Manzu. And I believe that the telemedicine, the telehealth is a good thing that has come out of uh, you know, the COVID situation. But what I think is, is surprising, uh, there's been a phenomenal uh, you know, funding for COVID and to deal with COVID and to deal with the COVID situations and so on, and which was absolutely needed. A small percentage of that was allocated towards mental health. Hmm. We are not discussing it, it is not on our daily topic either in Washington or on, in the media. What are we doing with the fallout? You asked about the first responders. We'll get to them in a little while. What are we doing for the fallout? What are we doing for the people? And you said earlier, Richard, that there's many people who haven't lost loved ones and they haven't been affected. I'd like to push that envelope. We're all affected. All. Mm -hmm. We are afraid if you take Maslow's hierarchical needs We, everybody in this country, are afraid of food, water, and shelter, sending their children to school, trying to support themselves. And mental health cases, depression, anxiety, and we can't talk about mental health without talking about substance abuse. They have all been on the increase. Hmm. And when we talk about depression, anxiety, and substance abuse, we're talking about child abuse. Because if a child lives in a situation like that, there's going to be some form of neglect. So these are very serious issues. And my hope is that um, Congress is going to step up and do something uh, about it because that's what, you know, and what about the individuals that are totally marginalized and can't access? Uh, I'm having problems with people who are not marginalized, finding them therapists. So the individuals that are marginalized, how do how are they taken care of? So Uh, you know, uh, our mental health issues. uh, We've had a year and we're going into the fourth surge of the COVID and we need to prepare. We need to begin the conversation and we need to prepare. And it needs to stop. It needs to start at the grassroots and it needs to start in Washington. Mm -hmm. And uh, because we have our children that are affected, and they will need care, too. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I want to talk about the children right now, because uh, according uh, to Harvard School of Public Health, COVID's greatest impact is on the children. In fact, the mental health of the children is going to be compromised, because the children from the age of 4 to 24, if they get a mental health issue, uh, it is for the rest of their life. So 75% of the children that are depressed, it will last with them through the rest of their lifetime. This is really scary. Instead of calling this Generation Z, we need to call it Generation C because this is a crisis. C for COVID, C for crisis. This is a red flag should be um, you know, going off. This is not being addressed anywhere at the level that I think that it should. So Johanna, can you speak more on this?
2: I think you're absolutely correct. And I think that the, the system is totally stretched. And so, you know, uh, we have to have the means and the energy to be able to address these situations. And right now it's sorely lacking. Uh, while the children up to date have not been so affected physically. Uh, The research shows that they have been affected uh, emotionally and psychologically. Uh, Mm -hmm. A lot of children, I don't know what the age group is, but maybe up until the age of maybe 10, 11, uh, they have regressed. And regression shows in the form of fear and anxiety. And then some of the younger children will uh you know they have uh they want to sleep in the bed with parents and they also have suffered from inuresis which which is incontinence and uh you know so uh the children the children if they're younger than the age four it's really not going to affect them very well if they have good parenting at home one of the reasons is that the hippocampus that part of our brain that interpret sensory input is not completely developed until age four or five. So Selina, you're right, from four to 24, you were saying, it has to start with, we need to help the parents to help the children. And we wanna talk about that
0: when we come back as we continue here talking with Dr. Johanna O'Flaherty and Dr. Selina Matthews, my co-host here on the program. This is Tell Me Your Story. Uh, this is the Mythosophia series, entertaining the depths of myth and wisdom, which we do touch upon on this program. And uh, we are going to continue doing so, and we encourage you to stay with us. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. My co-host is Dr. Selena Matthews. And we have as our special guest, Dr. Johanna O'Flaherty. Uh, and uh, uh, I one of the things that I would like to to uh, talk about in terms of this aspect not just of the children and and I will tell you that when you talked about how the children are only gonna be able to handle this if the parents are taught how to handle this we want to talk about that but it brings up a biblical passage Old Testament train up a child in the way he should go and when he gets old he shall not depart from it double-edged sword here the one edge of the sword is the adult who is behaving the way the adult is behaving shows how the child was raised and now is that adult behaving that way i think of bullying in particular uh, mm-hmm. bullying isn't illegal in schools with children at least not initially mm-hmm. however if you ex- exercise that kind of behavior out in public as an adult it's assault it's a crime okay the other edge of the sword is <coughs> Train a child up in the way he should go. So, if that's true, then how do adults train their children to cope with this situation, uh, as as you say, for example, uh, Selena, in terms of um, Generation C, because I think that's an appropriate term to to utilize.
2: Uh- I'm going to interpret, and thank you for the biblical quote. Uh, I'm going to interpret that as transgenerational trauma. And uh, let me speak a little bit to that. Uh, and I'll, I will, sh- I will, actually lead in with a quote from mm-hmm. a, a, a Catholic priest, a Father Richard Rohr in New Mexico. That which is not transformed is transmitted. So if mm you know, the parents are dysfunctional. They're going to transform the dysfunctionality to the next generation, the next generation. And we know that it takes about seven generations to to correct behaviors. However, I've been doing this work for over 25 years and concentrating on healing ancestral trauma along with other uh, inherited issues and Uh, I am claiming that we are indeed the seventh generation and we are called to break the chain and we can do that. And you ask, how can we do that? We can do that by educational workshops, helping the parents instead of asking, what the hell's wrong with them? (laughs) Ask what happened to them. And forgive
0: me for laughing. It was just the way you said it.
2: Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? But it's true. You know, and, 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 and humor does come into it. What happened to them? Yeah. And when I look at what happened to them, I have so much love and compassion uh, for the individuals. And so I do these workshops and believe it or not, <laughs> there's many therapists and so on in them. But you know who really gets it? I did a workshop for longshoremen up in San Francisco a few years ago. They got it immediately inherited ancestral trauma. And so, you know, I see ancestral trauma being played out on the streets of the world, but being played out on the streets of America every day. And when Black Lives Matter were on the streets, I saw cultural and ancestral trauma that has never been addressed collectively, that has been nicely slid under the rug. And they say, oh, well, that was a hundred years ago. Maybe it was a hundred years ago, but you know what? We take 30 years for a generation. That's three generations ago, which is nothing. And so how how do we heal it? We delve into the vortex of the pain, the uncomfortable conversations collectively and deal with our own shame, collective shame, cultural shame, and then the families and help them. Get the therapist trained on trauma and go into the vortex of the pain with the individual. Uh, the spiritual leaders, the shamans, the faith-based individuals begin the process of uh, transformation. And, uh, you know, we're all experiencing some form of trauma, but once we get an education as to, you know, is this ancestral trauma or is it self-inflicted trauma, then we have to make a decision to stop self sabotaging and begin our transformation. Transformation is depth psychology is all about transformation. There's a difference between transactional analysis and transformational analysis. And I guess I don't even know if I've answered your question Richard but there you have it.
0: Well, I I think it's it's good information to have but it's 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 only a part of the answer in that we need to find some concrete steps to take. It's too late to go back and try to help the parents because they're already in their own trauma. And that's the other thing that you kind of you, you implied uh, because the kids are experiencing the depression, the anxiety, all of these things. Well, where in the world are they getting that from? They're getting it from the parents uh... they're getting it from the parents because the parents don't know how to cope so i'm curious if we can when we when we come back after uh... i mentioned a couple of things here i'd like to talk if we can both from your perspective johanna but also selena from your perspective uh... as a doctor as well um... about how we can help these not just the children but the parents as well i personally okay I, the closest i have gotten okay, has been my sister being uh, uh, coming down with, with COVID and her f- husband and so forth and so on. Now, there is the other aspect of it, too, in that we are all exuding, we're all putting out energy, and there are people who have been around me who have just been, you know, just going nuts and so forth. Uh, and so I know that that kind of impacts me, but I've always been, even from the beginning, Back in February, March of 2020, I was optimistic, optimistic, not so much about how quickly we'd get through it, but about the opportunities that were out there that we didn't even know existed yet. And many people have actually thrived, in a manner of speaking, during this 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 period of time. So I'd like to talk about that as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. And this is Mythosophia, entertaining the depths of myth and wisdom, myth and wisdom with Dr. Selena Matthews, my co-host, along with our special guest, Dr. Johanna O'Flaherty. And uh, we are going to continue talking about all of these different aspects of how we can Work together as a community, if it's through Zoom, okay, but we still need to have that physical locality, if you will, even if it's six feet apart, three feet apart, whatever it is, uh, to, uh, to do just that. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I'm thanking you for joining us here on Tell Me Your Story, uh, Mythosophia, entertaining the depths of myth and wisdom, uh, with my co-host, Dr. Selena Matthews, as well as our special guest, Dr. Johanna O'Flaherty. And this is the part of the program I would really like to focus on, uh, even, even though we spent the majority of the program thus far on the problem we know there is one, and I'm not. I'm not trying to minimize it. I will say, Johanna, that I have been affected by the whining, by the complaining, by the moaning and groaning, and of course, I become one of those when I start complaining about the whining and the moaning and the groaning. So it's a catch twenty two for me. But I want to help to alleviate that. you know, I understand you. You trust the science, but you know, verify, you know, continue, and so forth but what are some of the steps we can take to help ourselves and our family members, our spouses and children, our neighbors, our coworkers, Uh, rather than saying, no, you're wrong, that information is accurate, Uh, starting to get into squabbles and quibbles, uh, and getting on, this is a new one, I don't know if you've heard this or not, Uh, people are so bent out of shape, as my father would say, (laughs) Uh, they are now being placed on no-fly lists that the airlines are sharing with one another because they have been unruly on airplane flights. And it's like, okay, when will that go away? How do you get off of that list? Uh, But anyway, let's talk about some of the solutions, some of the ways that we can help. And start with some of the simplest stuff. What
2: are some of the things we can do? Well, I let Selena talk about the the parenting first, and then I'll talk about the unruly passengers. Okay, very good. Selena?
1: Well, where I wanted to go is something that you had said, Richard, because one of the things um, that you had talked about is what's going on with us? Are we an introvert or an extrovert? The the extroverts hate COVID and the isolation. The introverts really love it. So we have two different sets of um, individuals. Some people have thrived in COVID. Richard, what are you, an introvert or an extrovert? Okay, well, I'm an extrovert.
2: Yeah, okay, okay I'll just say I'm an extrovert. Okay. (laughs) Johanna, what are you? I'm an extrovert with a very, very sophisticated, developed public persona. (laughs) I love it. I love it. (laughs) And I'm the introvert
1: here. I'm, I'm it. So the introverts have done extremely well during COVID because we like to be by ourselves. So there's that track. And then there's the extroverts who've had a more difficult time. So we need to address that because that also goes all the way down to the children. And so some children are doing great. Others are not, but going back to the children, the number of children that are uh, contemplating suicide, completing suicide, Cutting. I have never seen such um, a, an array of people coming into my practice. It, it, it is shocking. Their parents come and say, you got to do these sessions. My kids are depressed. And two months later, you, you find out they are, they've been cutting for a year. It's very scary. So there's a lot of stuff that has to be taken care of. Going back to the parenting that you also said, both uh, Johanna and you, Richard, is um, if parents don't take responsible responsibility and deal with the shame, without dealing with shame, you cannot transform. There, there's no way. You can't move anybody forward. You have got to face the shame. Shame is the name of the game to get to where you need to move to. So that's all I have in that area. So I hope I've answered some of the things, Richard.
2: I would just just add that uh, to begin healing, we need to start where we are and that is in our community. We can't expect it to come down from the top. We need to start like the old cultures had. They had the wisdom of healing in community our Native Americans have incredible wisdom about healing and community. So uh, support the parents, let the faith-based community, the other communities help support the parents because, you know, when you're at home with three or four small children screaming at you, the, husbands or the, the, the husband, wife, or whomever the provider is, is out of a job, uh, you know, it's very difficult to be philosophical about anything. So I would start with... Uh, community, 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 and breaking it down, supporting community. Um, I'd like to talk about unruly passengers, Richard, if I may. Mm -hmm. You don't know it, but I was a flight attendant. I was a flight attendant for Pan American many years ago. And flight attendants are on board the aircraft as safety officers. They're not on board the aircraft to be abused. And we have unbelievable... Uh, abuse on board aircrafts today. And I believe, and I was saying to the flight attendants that I was I'm, I'm, have a Zoom support group for, that to be a little bit considerate with the passengers, because the passengers are coming also from a place of fear. And fear, their rights are being taken away, fear this or fear that. And also, remember, we all have a history. What if that passenger has claustrophobia, but they're big bravado and they're not going to, you know, Uh, So just because a mask is required on board the aircraft, and it is, it it is an FAA and also uh, the the North America, Canadians are requiring it. So actually all airlines are requiring it. And uh, if they're going to assault a flight attendant, that's a felony. And so I would encourage our... uh, Our listeners, that uh, if they're afraid of flying, to try and talk to somebody that knows something about flying to sort of alleviate their anxiety. Uh, And of course, uh, alcohol on board the aircraft exacerbates the issue. By the way, American Airlines has suspended alcohol sales on board the aircraft for a trial period of three months or so. Uh, I don't think it's going to work because they're just going to drink before they get on. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's yeah. what I would do. That's what I would do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why not? <laughs> but then again, I love
0: flying. I mean, you know, I, I that that's yeah. the difference between them and me. I love flying, even if I did have to wear my mask the entire uh, the entire flight, although I'd have a hard time wearing the mask the entire flight, flying from uh, LAX to uh, to uh, um, uh, Dublin International. Uh, fifteen hours uh, uh, on a plane—that would be, that would a little be a little tough. Uh, I think I might hopscotch. Very tough, very but, tough. But but uh, I guess I guess the that the other part of it too, and I don't know about other countries, let alone Ireland. I only know about the United States, and it seems as though I, I, I'm going to use a sports analogy, and, I, and I'll keep it very simple. Um, there is only one sport that is not a team sport and that's golf okay and of course I know uh, I'm sure you uh, Johanna I don't know about you Selena but uh, there's uh, what's called the Ryder Cup that was just played yes and the Europeans play in that cup the Europeans uh, know how to play as a team but the Americans don't they come in as individuals with their egos and the whole thing and their big uh, uh, money bags, uh, money belts and so forth. And uh, that's that's how they, that's how they, uh, that's their perspective. And they don't know how to play as a team, which kind of explains why we've had so much trouble in the Ryder Cup over the years winning, especially when we're over in uh, England, for example. Um That seems to me to be the best example of the problem we have in this country that we do not know how, unless there's a crisis, right, Johanna? Unless there's a crisis, we don't know how to function as a
2: community. Is that a fair assessment? I think it's a very fair assessment. We are very much of an individualistic society. But when there's a crisis, they are phenomenal. The Americans show up, they are absolutely phenomenal. And uh, we have lost our containers for teamwork. We have lost our containers for grieving. And uh, we now need to move from the individualistic to the plural, to the community, to okay. the uh, and then the collective, because uh, it's... Uh, human beings all over the world, we are more alike than different. Mm. We cry together, we love, we get angry, we get fearful. uh, And I love to see, and this is what gives me hope, there are so many incredible individual compassionate people out there that are so ready to help at any time. And I can tell you about a team support. If you want to see a team in action, Look at the first responders. Yeah. Look at the first responders. I mean, they are phenomenal. I love working with them. And also you have a team on board an aircraft. The crew are a team Uh, because, you know, it really is very much part of a a team. There is one other thing that I'd like to say that I learned from a a friend of mine who's a priest, Uh, you know, When we've had so many collective deaths here in this country, and we celebrate life. We've moved from grieving and mourning to celebrating life. It's artificial. It's as artificial as my Zoom wake with my family. You know, that's interesting you would
0: say that. That's a whole other show. I interviewed Bernie Siegel. Okay. Dr. Bernie Siegel. And he was talking about his wife and he said yes. And she died a few years ago. She died a few years ago. So now I'm chatting with him and I'm saying, yeah. And, and, and of course, uh, you know, uh, you know, I'd like to talk to you about the grieving over the process, over the, uh, over the um, transition of your wife. He says, why did you say transition? She died. He's right. And, and you know what? I'm going to go back to saying death and dying rather yes. than transitioning because I doctor. think you're right. I'm doing a disservice by using those words because that's what happens. We, our bodies die, they cease to
2: function. Yes. And we have euphemisms. We want to anesthetize it yeah. and uh, you know, I joke because I teach on death and dying also because of working crisis management. Mm-hmm. And I joked with Selena, I said, you know, the morticians do a better job than the plastic surgeons. So you know, I've seen. Sometimes, I mean, my mother, I she looked better laid out than I do someday. So uh, (laughs) I think that uh, it's uh, when my friend, the priest, was saying to me, "I said, I agree with you completely, Tom. You know, uh, and we need to grieve. Celebrate what? Celebrate they're they're gone. Celebrate the life, fine. But what do we do with the celebration of children?" My own family have lost three members in two years. Two very young ones, two very young ones. One was murdered. Hmm. And so are we going to have a celebration of life? I mean, uh, in any event, bring comfort where we can. I love the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. Mm -hmm. Now, for the listeners, don't think that I'm, you know, a Bible-pumping individual. No, I'm not. My, my, My beliefs are spiritual. But I love the prayer of Saint Francis of Assisi. Bring comfort where there's turmoil and this and that and the other thing. Uh Bring compassion. Uh, I know I'm having a good day when I can feel compassion in my heart Uh for the individuals. And, uh, you know, uh, we are all, and I know Selena uh, talks a lot about the archetypes Selena, you wanted to talk about the archetype about the wounded healer. And
1: I wanted, I wanted you to talk about the wounded healer as well as the helpless helper, helpless helper, because mm. I think those two archetypes are, are part of anyone who works in crisis.
2: You know, uh, first of all, I think all of us that come into uh, the helping profession. And I've known that also now having worked with first responders for years and years, police and fire and, you know, in their big uniforms and so on. And by the way, gorgeous guys. They're, <laughs> they're all too young uh, for me. Gorgeous guys. So, you know, we talk and of course they all have a history of some trauma in their own background. I think it's fair to say we all have. I certainly do. And so I would class myself as a wounded healer. Uh, Wounded healers, uh, you know, are so special and it's a beautiful archetype and we can heal so we can do some genuine authentic healing, but we need to take care of ourselves. And now with this uh, pressure that's been on all of us, uh, self-care is pushed to the max. When I have the frontline workers and we talk about self-care, they go, what are you talking about, Johanna? Johanna. We're working 12 hours, and then somebody's called in sick, and they want us to work for another 12 hours. So, mm. so multiple do- debts, multiple debts in the collective, uh, debts in our own family. The wounded healer has a, uh, I think, a responsibility to step back on occasion from their work when and do their own healing, which I had to do actually in the past uh, year. I had to take a couple of months and do my own healing because uh, of losing all my family members. Hmm. The helpless helper is another situation. It's uh, both frustrating and painful. Uh, It's a frustrating and painful place to be. Uh, As a professional, I need to realize that there's a power greater than me. If I do everything I can under the situation with the information I have, I can go home and sleep at night. Now, tomorrow I might get different information and I might think, oh my God, I should have done this, that, and the other thing. But then I asked, did you do everything you could within your power with the information you had? And if I can, I can go home. Uh, And I can leave the rest to a power greater than me. That's essentially Jung's concept of the numinous. There is a power greater than us. We are not, we're really catalysts, and so, that's the helpless helper. I've been in a helpless helper position many, many times. and But coming from my uh, philosophy and the way I look at life, it's very helpful. I can go home and even when some of my patients suicide, am I very sad? Yes. But I need to know I've done everything that I can.
0: Yeah, that's a, a, a perspective that, um, especially in the medical profession i've even posed this question and this sort of a sidebar conversation here but i've even posed the question to the medical community via some of the folks who have been within the the orthodox or traditional medicine uh... that the problem with uh... the educational system within medicine is you don't you're never taught when to say when when it's time to say we've done everything we can And it's time to let them die, let them go, let them rest. Uh, I often watch some of these, uh, not so much documentaries as TV programs, and obviously they're going to ramp it up a little bit, where they're uh, in the ER and they're working on this person. I mean, they're going to town on this person. They're pounding on him and, and, and all of that stuff and the needles and the this and the that. And he dies. And I'd want to die, too, after, you know, that brutal situation. But, again, they are trying to revive him, bring him or her back to life, and I get that. I'm not criticizing what they're doing. It's just there's got to come a point, and you will see it. One guy's up there straddling the person, doing the compression, and the other guy puts his hand on his shoulder saying, hey, hey,
2: they're gone. There well, goes. actually, you've triggered something that kind of is maybe going to wrap this whole thing up. Yes. We are a society that are totally, we're, totally, we're obsessed with youth. We are afraid of death. Mm. And anything that we're afraid of holds us hostage. So, you know, the Italians and the Irish and the rest of them, they deal with death in a much more natural way. We are afraid of death, so therefore we are hostage to death. So how are we going to deal and heal and grieve from the multiple deaths we've had from COVID? Uh, I think we can. I think we can. And I think the key is community.
0: I think so, too. I think so, too.
2: We're talking with
0: uh, Johanna O'Flaherty, my co host, uh, Dr. Uh, Selena Matthews, and I, Richard Dugan, are here on Tell Me Your Story, the Mythosophia edition of uh, Entertaining the Depths of Myth and Wisdom. And we are here to uh, say our final uh, goodbyes for this program to both Selena and Johanna. But uh, before we do, ladies, and even as a co-host, I'm going to uh, put you on the hot seat a little bit here, Selena. Uh, With Tell Me Your Story, we always have three questions that we ask our guests at at the end of the program. And I would like to ask the both of you these three questions. Uh, but I want to thank you, Johanna, for joining us, Dr. Johanna O'Flaherty, for joining us here on the program and for sharing your insights. And I'm hoping that uh, the folks that are listening and watching uh, have, have gained, hopefully, a different perspective, which is, again, it's all we're trying to do is offer different perspectives on some of these things. So thank you. You're welcome. And, Selena, I thank you so much for joining me here on the program. And I look forward to an opportunity to have you back on the program with another guest uh, to talk further about a lot of these different subjects that are tied into um, entertaining uh, (laughs) entertaining the depths of myth and wisdom. Thank you, Richard. Thank you so much for having me. Before I ask these three questions, which, by the way, each of you is going to have an opportunity to think about your answer while the other one's answering, I want to let you, the listener and the viewer, know that we are here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., and then our special edition on Wednesdays at 9 a.m., streaming live at those times at RichardDugan.com. And podcasts on SoundCloud and iTunes and iHeartRadio and Amazon Music and Stitcher and Player FM and Blueberry and just a whole bunch of other places. If I didn't mention Spotify, Spotify. Uh, We are on YouTube where you can watch these interviews, and uh, either podcast or videocast or both, I would hope that you would subscribe so that every time I upload one uh, and make it available, you'll know, hey, he's got another one up there, probably a a very interesting guest and should be a good conversation. I better tune into that one. I hope you will. I hope you'll also uh, support us financially. We can use all the help that we can get, uh, and any amount is greatly appreciated. All you have to do is go to PayPal. When you hit the send button, it's going to ask for an email address to send it to richard at RichardDugan.com is the email address to use that's richard at RichardDugan.com. and again paypal we use that for your security as well as ours and then we ask you we didn't touch upon this and we should have had a whole segment on this we ask you to participate in the decade of perfect vision the 2020s we ask you to spend time in that still quiet small closet I like to call it listening to that still small voice your intuition I call it my friend always have always will my friend will never ever put me in harm's way will challenge me and has over the years but the key is to listen and follow the promptings because I will tell you that the times that I've been challenged if I hadn't followed the promptings things would have probably turned out a lot worse. So I listen and, and do my utmost to remember to follow, uh, to, to make life, I don't know, a li- not necessarily a little easier, but at least I know that I've got someone who has my back, so to speak. So I hope that you will do just that. And uh, that was another thing we could have touched upon and, and incorporated into the conversation in terms of listening to uh, that still small voice during this period of time, especially when we've been isolated for as long as we have but uh, we'll have to save that for another time now we're going into uh, the bonus round of our game show ha 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 and ask the three final questions there is no right or wrong answer here and you answer with whatever comes forth for the two of you and the first question will be to Johanna who is Johanna O'Flaherty
2: uh, Johanna Flaherty is uh, a woman who grew up in Ireland in uh, post World War II Ireland, a very poor family, and uh, I'm very grateful for that because it has given me a very broad perspective, understanding, and compassion. Selena, who is Selena
1: Matthews? Well, I'm going to follow along Johanna's path. I grew up in a small farming community in Northern Canada. And I, from there, I am now in Los Angeles. And it was an extraordinary journey of soul transformation, which is my brand. So I guess I, you would call me a transformer. That's my essence. I like that. All right. So now, uh, the next
0: question is for you, Selena, what is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now?
1: Totally. I'm, I'm really clear. I am living my sole purpose. I'm living, I'm doing my, my work and that is transforming people's lives every single day. That's it. There's no more than that. That is what, I live for, that is what inspires me. And
0: Johanna, what is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing
2: now? I've made a commitment many years ago to uh, try to alleviate the suffering that's going on in the world. Uh, Try to alleviate in some small way in my uh, little uh, circle of influence And so my work is dedicated to uh, alleviating suffering in the world. And my final
0: question, and you may have answered it in your previous answers, but I'll ask it anyway. Johanna, what is your life's purpose?
2: I think my life's purpose is uh, to be, uh, well, I am is a healer. I mean, I am a psychologist, but I'm really a healer. And uh, my life's purpose is, again, going back to uh, the prayer of St. Francis and in every way to try and alleviate suffering and to continue to be compassionate.
0: And Selena, what is your life's purpose?
1: To transform myself and others every single day of my life.
0: I want to thank the two of you for being on the program. Selena for joining me and co-hosting this program. Excellent questions and conversation. And I, I look forward to our next opportunity. And uh, Johanna, I thank you for uh, being our guest and sharing your insights. And I thank you for listening to and watching. Tell me your story, New Paradigms for a New World. And the Myth of Sophia series continues as we continue to entertain the depths of myth and wisdom, and until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lol